The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. First uh, Peter chapter number 2. Let me read these two verses. Verse 9 and 10 is where we'll be today, and then we'll pray. Verse number 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. If I remind myself, I think we just sang a song about that. Verse number 10, For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And since the text today is so small, why don't we just read that again in case your mind is somewhere else today and you need a moment to focus. Let's read that again. And now you read silently. I'll read aloud for us as a church. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I want to go to the Lord in prayer, but as I do, uh, if you're here today and you're a believer, I'm going to take just a moment as I start to pray and just be quiet and have a little bit of silence for a few seconds and allow you to kind of center your mind on the Lord, whatever you're thinking about, whatever's on your mind, the cares of last week or the cares of this coming week, would you just kind of let those go and just take a moment silently to think and pray to the Lord and ask Him to meet with you. And if you're here today and you say, I'm not a believer, I'm not even sure that God exists, would you just quietly in that, in that space of silence, would you just maybe ask and say, God, if you are real, would you show me? Maybe there's some believers in here today that you need to do that as well too. And I'm not sure how busy your week was. Maybe some of you had some off days because of the snow. But would you just take a quiet moment and just ask God to help you? If He is there, if He cares, that He would speak to us in this time together through His Word into our hearts. Would you join me for a time of prayer? Now, Father, even in that space of silence, there are many of us in here who can't maintain attention even for that long. Things are flooding into our minds because we are busy creatures. And for some of us, Lord, in this room, we're quiet in that moment seeking to concentrate and we're not sure we didn't experience any kind of grand vision. But we come to You Asking as needy people for You to slow our lives down and to help us. 
And Lord, now that we've been silent for a moment and we come to You on bended knee in our heart, we confess our sin, we confess our total inability, and we admit to You that we need You to speak to us. And we know that You do that through Your written Word. So we all surrender ourselves. Best I know I speak for us, Lord, but I pray that we would surrender our hearts to You right now. And that the Spirit of God would use the Word of God to convict us of where we need to change, to encourage us where we need help, to touch the life and the mind and the heart of an unbeliever and bring them from death to life out of darkness and into Your marvelous light. Help us, Lord, to leave here today having worshipped and treasured Jesus above all things. And we thank You in advance for what You'll do. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So I want to kind of just divide the sermon this morning into two portions. I want to walk back with you through verse number 9 and verse number 10 together, just make help you see some observations in the words and in what's going on in this text. And then I'll just give you a few points of application today. So now just by way of introduction, verse 4 through verse number 12 is really the entire paragraph here, but I've isolated verse number 9 and 10 for us today. And there are three images in verse number 4 down through verse number 12. Uh, the first is the image uh, for the church of the living body, that Christ is the living stone and we are the living body of Christ. And so it's a great way for the church to think about us being that living body together. And then the second image that comes in that passage 4 to 12 is this grand building or the living building of God that He, that is Jesus, is the chief cornerstone, right? He is the stone upon all the rest of the building is built and we are the building of God. And so we respect our buildings here. We love our buildings and all that's going on. And we want to improve them this year. And we always want to be a testimony to those that are within and those that are without that would come and visit. But we always want to remember that the church is not the building. The church is the people of the living God of heaven. Can I get an amen there? All right. So we have this uh, living body and we have this living building. And then when we come to uh, this section, verse number 9 and 10, the third image that he gives here is that we are the living and the chosen race of God. We are this chosen people of God. And so let's take apart verse 9 and 10 together. Put your eyes back on the text with me. He says, but you. First of all, that's an emphatic you here. It's a, it's a contrast from what took place in the end of verse number, uh, verse number 8. He says that, that chief cornerstone in verse number 8, who is for us the great King, the Lord Jesus, but for those who do not believe, He is a stumbling block because they are disobedient to the Word. And to this, they are doomed already. And now contrast that, it says in verse number 9, but you, that is this plurality. In fact, you'll find seven times in verse 9, 10, and 11, this uh, pronoun you, this plural pronoun for you is, uh, is used. And it is not speaking so much of a me or an I as a child of God, but it is talking about collectively, the Apostle Paul says, we are the people of the living God. But you are a chosen race. 
Now put the brakes on for a moment. As you study that, I was thinking this last week, in the culture and then the tenor of our own society right now, I can think of, I can think of no other two words to put together that are so divisive and so hot topic. Chosen race. Maybe your version says chosen generation here, but it's not speaking so much of a group of people in a particular time or lifespan as if that generation lived 40 or 50 or 70 years. No, it really here is this ethnic group. It is a people uh, uh, together that share a common ancestry and a common body together. But notice what it says here, that they are a chosen race. But it doesn't say that they are a choice race. Our chosenness in God does not come out of anything that has to do with us. It is not that Emmanuel Baptist Church or the people in this room that somehow we are better than other people and we have accomplished more and we have a greater heritage and we can do all of these things. No, in fact, our chosenness is not based upon the blood that runs in our veins, but the reason why red and yellow, black and white can all possibly be a part of the chosen race is not because of the blood that runs through your veins, but it is the blood that ran through the veins of Jesus that came out on the cross of Christ. Amen? And so no matter what background you come from, no matter what country you're from, no matter what your heritage, I want you to understand that if you have been born into the family of God by what Jesus did on the cross, you are the chosen race of His people. Now, all of my theologians in the room, Take your deep breath. Let your blood pressure go down. Let me tell you how, as a pastor, I handle these texts. He said, preacher, do you, are you a, are you a flaming Calvinist and everything is predetermined and there's no responsibility and there's no human freedom? We don't make a choice. No, I'm not like that. Preacher, are you saying you're the other way that everything is up to me? I make my choices. I'm totally free and I have God at my beck and call. No, I'm not like that. He said, what do you do? Rather than taking my superstructure and my scaffolding of my own theology and putting it on every text of the Bible, I try to just let the portions of the Bible speak for themselves when we cover them. So for instance, when we get over to 1 John chapter number 2 and verse number 1 and 2, and where it says that He died not for, uh, not for our sins only, but the sins of the whole world, I'm not going to put my scaffolding on that verse and make it say something that it doesn't. All kinds of believers. No. The atonement is powerful enough to save every human being in the world. It is efficient for those who believe. But in this text that lies before us today, I do want you to understand that that verb and that word does say that we are a chosen race. We are God's people, not simply because we decided one day that we would take a little bit of Christianity. We are, we are to bow our hearts humble onto the ground and say, why am I saved? Why am I a part of God's family? Why am I going to heaven when I die? Why do I have all of the benefits that God wanted to give His Son? Why do I have all of that? I don't know. Somewhere in the heart of God, He loved us enough to choose us and pull us out of the fiery pit and give us His Son and eternal life. He chose, we didn't. Amen? Here in His love, not that we loved Him, but that He first loved us. Don't ever forget that God initiates salvation. 
Now, my dear friend, if you're in here this morning, and maybe some of this sounds like foreign language to you, and say, I'm not sure about Christianity, I'm not sure about all of this thing, I just want you to understand that what we say to you according to God's Word is that you are not in the position of authority God is. And you do not get saved when you want to. You get saved when your heart is broken and you desperately plead for God to have mercy on you. He is the one that is in control. And when you see yourself as a desperate sinner standing in the need of judgment. You find yourself where all of us were at one time. Instead of looking at ourselves, we say, oh God, will you please have mercy on me? And we stand there waiting. And God is merciful. Amen? You say, man, you took that long on chosen race. Are we going to make it through this? Yeah, we'll make it through. But you are a chosen race. Look at these four here. These, this is what the church is. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. The word royal here is the word for king. For instance, uh, in Greek, like we have rex hospital. The word rex means king hospital. Okay, So the word here is rex. It means a king. And notice here that we are a little bit distinct from the uh, old nation of Israel in the Old Testament that they did have priests, but they did not have king priests. And in fact, the only Old Testament king priest that there was, was this guy by the name of Melchizedek in the book of Genesis. And in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that Jesus is a descendant of Melchizedek. And because Jesus is a king priest, He has transferred that onto us. And so, what I want you to leave here today is say, what in the world? How can that help my life to know that I am a king and I am a priest? Well, the first thing is this. Lift your head high and realize that you're not some sort of bottom dweller, but God has not given you a low position in the house, but He has given you a high position in the house, and we are God's kings and priests to the rest of the world, so that we are to teach them how to live under the governance of God, and we are to, uh, we are to take them before the throne of grace and offer pardon through Jesus Christ for their sins. This last week, did you live as a king priest in your life, in your job, in your family? We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The word holy here simply means to be set apart, distinct, different. And then look at the fourth one here, a people for God's own possession. Now some of you may have a peculiar people, okay? Let me help you with the explanation of that. There are tons of Christians that I've met in my life that are pretty peculiar, okay? And if you haven't been, if you need to meet a kind of a peculiar kind of Christian, just go to the state convention and meet all kinds of oddballs, all right? The way we think of the word peculiar as meaning odd or different or kind of, you know, marginalized, that's not what that word is. It's just an old English word. What that means there is it comes from a word that means to set around. And so what the, what the author here is trying to proclaim or give to you is that for where it says like God's own possessions, the word peculiar here means that God saved you and then drew a circle around you and it shows everybody in the world that that's my child. That's my believer. God owns you and loves you. And He has set a mark on your life as a believer that shows the rest of the world not that you're odd, but that you're owned by God. Amen? 
Now look there, uh, you're going to see some sort of phrase in your Bible that says, so that. And whenever you see so that in an English New Testament, it's, uh, well, pretty much in anywhere, you're going to find that that shows you the reasoning. All right, It's an argumentation phrase. And so notice the four things that came before in verse number 9. He says, we are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. Why has God given us all of those blessings? Why has God poured that into our lives? Why has God done all of that for His people? So that. For this reason. So that you may proclaim. Some of your versions may say sing. Some of them may say declare. Some of them may say proclaim. The word here is the word for a herald. It not only means sing, but it means audibly with your mouth that you would proclaim and declare to all the world the excellencies or the virtues, or the power, or the majestic nature of God. It is His character. So that you would proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Isn't that a beautiful phrase, folks? Why has God given us all these blessings as a church? so that we would declare with our mouth and with our life the excellency and the glory of God. I exist to glorify God. And you exist as a believer to glorify God for what He has done for you. And He has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now, uh, that, that word there, the marvelous light, it has a couple of meanings here. So you might get the idea like He's called us from darkness and uh, like the song said, I'm running into light. You know, So you're running over here toward light. Well, the word into, out of darkness and into here, it is not only a location phrase, but it is a conditional phrase or a conditioned phrase. What does that mean? It's not just that we've been pulled out of darkness and we are running toward God's light and He has brought us into this place that has light. Certainly that is true. Colossians says that we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. So we are in the place or the location of the light of God. But it also carries this condition. So it's not just that we went from darkness into a place of light, but the light itself is now become a part of who we are. It's not just that the same old you has now gone from a place of darkness into a place where the lights have been turned on, but it's that the light of God is now a part of who you are. And it is changing you from the inside out. 1 Corinthians says that we have old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. The light is changing us. And the way you used to live and the things you used to think about and the things you used to watch and the things you used to do, those are fading into the darkness and the light of God's glorious grace is pouring into you so that you are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ who is the light of the world. And what did He say to His disciples? Now I'm sending you out as lights, as a city to be set on a hill to shine to the rest of the world. And what are we called in Revelation chapter 1 and chapter number 2? That we are the candlestick of God and Christ is in the center and we shine toward the world the light of the truth of Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, in verse number 10, For you once were not a people, 
But now you are the people of God. To every marginalized, to every hurting person in the world, to everyone who feels like they've been left behind and they've had no family or they've been hurt by people and they feel so far away. Have you ever felt in your life like you were not a people? That you were not a person? Your life didn't matter? Your life didn't count? You didn't have any special skill set? You didn't have a bunch of money? You didn't have anything worth showing? God comes along to every human people and says, those of you who are not a people, I've made a people. And then look at the last part. Those who have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. My English students in here, I just would tell you it might be fun on your own time to notice the comparisons and the contrasts in verse number 9 and 10. From darkness to light, from not being a people to being a people, from not having mercy to having mercy. And just spend some time this week worshiping and meditating and thinking about what all of that means for our lives. Well, let me make a few applications for us to take away from these two verses. Before I get to those, I want you to notice this. We're starting this series going forward January, February, and March, and we're talking about the church. And I, I want you to know that it is very much important that God is interested in you as an individual. I have become a child of God. God pours His grace, and the church is made up of individuals. So don't ever think that your pastor is not, is not excited nor is not wanting to talk about the individual nature of Christianity. But I feel like sometimes we talk so much in an individualistic way about what God has done for me that we avoid and we look over the majority of the New Testament who by and large the pronouns for the church or the pronouns in most of the rest of the New Testament are a plural. For us, not just you. God didn't just die for you, He died for us. Christ didn't just die for you. Christ died for the church because He loves us corporately. We are in this together. And if you find yourself rejoicing more over the fact that God saved me than the fact that God saved us, you're rejoicing wrongly. If your heart and mind doesn't go to the collective that when you step into Emmanuel Baptist Church or you have joined this people together, that we are God's people. Something's wrong, bad wrong. As I said last week a little bit on that little FaceTime Live thing, you know, somebody came up to me one time and they were talking to me. In fact, there was another pastor talking about somebody in their church. I just want you to understand that if somebody ever tells you that I love Jesus and I, I, I must say I love Jesus, but I, I can't stand the church. I don't want to be around it. I can worship God better on the riverbank. I just, I, 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 I like, I like Jesus and me and not them. They are not a believer. They are lost. And if they're not, they severely, severely misunderstand the Scripture. Jesus did not die just to save you. He died to save us. And you cannot love Jesus and not love His people. First John tells us that one of the evidences of salvation is that you love to be with God's people. 
I know that's strong. But it is the truth of Scripture. And I want us to begin this year thinking in terms not so much I and me as we and us. And this is our people. We are the people of God at Emmanuel Baptist Church. And we should live like that. Let me, let me just throw a couple of, uh, a few points up here. First of all, from the text, we have a good heritage. I mean a good heritage. In verse number 9, you see those four, the chosen race and a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And, and uh, what's that last one there? Holy nation and a people for God's own possession. All of that is a direct quote straight out of uh, Exodus number 19, verse 6 and following, and Isaiah chapter number 43 and following, verse 1 and following. And so what the author has done here, what Peter's done is, he's taken everything that was attributed to God's nation in the Old Testament, and he's saying, you know how I said these are my people, this is my holy nation, these people are set apart to be mine? I now put all of that on the church. This is who you are. Now, let me make a couple, let me say a couple of things here. There is some continuity to the, to Israel and to the church, and there is some discontinuity to the nation of Israel and the church. I do not believe, don't let anybody ever tell you your pastor believes in like replacement theology. I do not believe that the church replaces Israel. What I do believe is that the church is the culmination and the fulfillment of Israel. And all of that is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter number 7, you will find that the, that the apostle there when he's writing, he is saying that Israel in the Old Testament was the church of God. And you find in 1 Peter that Peter writes and says that uh, the church has called all of the things that Israel was called. So there's this continuity. The church in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament has always been about people who by faith put their, their faith in the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. True Jews are those who are children of Abraham by faith not by birth. What I want you to see is we have a heritage that goes all the way back to the beginning. It's like, for instance, if you, you know, if you, if you, got, to, if you got to play for the Yankees and you stepped into the clubhouse of the Yankees, how would you feel if you're there with Mickey? You, you, you know that Mickey Mantle played there, Babe Ruth played there, and you have all of these great people. You would step in there and realize that you stand in the flow, not of something that's just about you, but something that's about this great team and the heritage that has come down to you. And that would create an impetus inside of you to play up to the uniform that you wear, to play up to the people that have gone before you. When you step into the flow of the Christian church, you step into the flow where Moses is not somebody you read about in the Bible. He's your grandfather. And Paul's your uncle. And Peter is your crazy uncle. These people are flesh and bone. Ruth belongs to your family. And guess what? So do the people that are sitting beside you right now and some of the people that aren't. So I don't want you to get up every Sunday morning and come to church because you feel guilty. 
we get up every Sunday morning and we come to worship together because we have stepped into something that is far beyond Steve Tillis. It is the people of the living God of heaven. And I'm coming to worship with you and love you and be encouraged by you and help you. And we are going to grow together and proclaim the glories of Jesus around all the world. That's why we come. Long before I was ever... Somebody, you know, somebody said, one of our kids said one time, Pastor, I thought you just wore a suit every day, all right? Well, I don't. But long before I was ever being a pastor at all, Connie and I were getting up every Sunday morning and we were going to church and we were teaching. What was, baby, what was the name of that class? The, the bumblebees? We had the bumblebees or the wasps or the hornets. I don't know. It was the children that were mean. Whatever we called them. It's, it certainly wasn't the butterfly class. I remember that. And we went to lunch and we went home and we came back Sunday night and we came back Wednesday night and we were there every event. You said, why? Because you were preaching? Because you had to be? Because you were a deacon? No! Because I have a deep, settled conviction in my heart that I belong to these people. And it's the greatest people you could ever belong to in all of your life. Not because I had to, but because I'm a part of something and a group who the Son of God died for. That's why. Number two, next time I have to make that bigger. I can't see that far back. What's that saying? Number two, we have a godly identity. Well, simply put, I kind of spoken about that, but you look back at the right, we are a people for God's own possession. In verse number 10, you who were once not a people, now you have been made people of God. Hey, I know some of you this isn't going to work, but some of you that have ever played on a sports team, there is something about being on a team and being in a locker room and smelling dirty socks and everybody sweating together. There's halftime and a coach comes in and even if you're up by five points, he's spitting all over you and you're doing terrible and get it together. And you look beside somebody in, in practice and you're running wind sprints and your buddy knows that the coach turned his back and so he starts to let up and you look at them and say, pick it up. I don't want to run any more of these. And there is a camaraderie around a team mentality and I want you to understand you have been nor will you ever be on any team that compares to being a part of the people of God that's not me holding up the banner telling you that that's God saying you're my people your identity is that you belong to God and to each other I want you to think about that and live in that. And if you've been abusing that identity and setting it to the side, I want you to pull that off of the shelf and put it in front of you and remind yourself that you are a chosen race, a holy people, a holy nation, those who belong to God. And you take that everywhere you go. You go into a workplace where you don't like it, and you feel ostracized and you feel like you got passed over for a promotion, you take that to a family get-together and, and, and you just feel awkward or maybe you're sharing the gospel with somebody that's near you or lives near you or you're afraid to invite them to church. You talk to that person not in a shameful way, but you understand that you're a part of a family that belongs to God. Let me give you a third point. 
We have a graceful community. <laughs> look back down at the text, if you would. Oh, look, I wish I had more time. Watch this, verse number 10. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Hey, just jot this reference down. Hosea chapter number 1 and Hosea chapter number 3. This is a, this is a quote out of the book of Hosea. Hosea is an Old Testament prophet, and he married a weird-named lady named Gomer. All right? If we got any ladies in here today named Gomer, I'm sorry. Okay? Hosea married Gomer, and in chapter number 1, he loved her with all of his heart. And do you know what Gomer did to him? Gomer left her husband, Hosea, ran out and had a whole bunch of adulterous affairs. And in fact, she gave him two boys... Or two children. And the, and, and the latter child, his name is Lo-Ami. And this is a reference to that because Lo-Ami means not a people. And God says to Hosea, your life is going to be an illustration of what Israel has done to me. That just like your wife has run out and had all of these adulterous affairs and left you, so Israel has left me and they are no longer a people. In chapter number 3, Gomer is beaten down and she is on the auction block and she has wasted and ruined her life and she's probably ugly to everybody in this room. And God tells Hosea in chapter number 3, go yet love a woman. And he sells what he has and he buys her back. And her who is not a people, is made a people again. This community right here is a group of people full of grace. When Jesus went to the cross, all of us in here have been adulterous in our spiritual ways. We have sought after our own idols and gone our own ways. And we who were not a people by Jesus dying on the cross, He purchased and bought us back so that no matter what we look like or where we were, Jesus died to save us and to restore us and to make us His people once again. That's what kind of community we have here. The next time you start to get upset, somebody here, just remember that we were all fallen people who God has saved by the merciful grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? And uh, let me give you one last one. We have a great responsibility. Look, look back at verse number 9. You told you, I told you the reasoning here. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him. I want to leave here today knowing that I am a part of this church who is the people of God. And for all that God has done for us as a group and believers around the world, I want to go out and tell the rest of the world about how glorious and wonderful Jesus is. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? In just a minute, we'll stand and sing together. Hey... I mean, just give uh, just nobody looking around. Let me just talk to you for just a moment. 
If you're here today and and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never had your sins washed away, You, you in your heart, you know that you are Gomer. You have committed adultery with all of these false idols and you stand in need of Jesus to buy you back. Right where you are right now, call to Him, plead with Him to save you. And He will. To every believer in this room, I'm I'm happy that you rejoice that you're a child of God. But I want you to understand Christ died for us collectively as the church. And I just want you to ask yourself honestly, how much do you prioritize your church life than all the other things? And many of them are important and many of them are good. But where does God and His people fall on that list? And I don't need to run you into the ground. You talk with the Lord. And you make those necessary commitments. And you make those adjustments so that you can proclaim the excellencies of God who's called us out of darkness into His glorious light. Would you stand with us this morning and sing? You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.